So I run sort of 10 miles on average uh, when I go for a run and I'd give myself, you know, breather laps in terms of where I slow down my pace, just catch up with my breathing and then I'll pick the pace up again the next mile. And I think in the same way you need to do that in, in, um, in running a business day to day. You know, what you don't want to do is burn out. You have to give yourself that rest, you know, in the entrepreneurship mindset, it's go, go, go. That's Philip Albert Corbin, an architect, design enthusiast, and most recently UCL's award-winning innovator behind contemporary women's footwear line, Olivia Philip, a fitness devotee who has participated in multiple marathons and a dedicated foodie. He also happens to be my older brother. In our conversation, we discuss the process of designing something for life, being more thoughtful about the things you consume, and how he learned that pacing yourself can have a huge impact in your business and life. You're listening to The Outset, a podcast that explores the industries of hospitality, real estate, and design. My name's Toby Albert Corbin, and I'll be chatting with creators to discuss their journey, lessons they've learned, and what it means to make an impact. Thanks for being here today, Philip. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so could you give us a brief introduction uh, to yourself and the brand? Sure. Uh, so I actually qualified as an architect and I've been working in the industry for a few years alongside uh, being the CEO and co-founder of Olivia Philip. And uh, it's quite funny, actually, in terms of how we started off the company, it also sort of started off with a conversation between Olivia and I. And we'd been friends for a few years prior to actually find, founding the company. And it was over a, a dinner in a Spanish tapas restaurant in Notting Hill. And uh, she actually works in PR and marketing. So she was sharing with me the uh, issues of discomfort that she quite frequently experienced um, wearing high-heeled footwear. So, of course, because of her position, um, she found that going from meeting to meeting, from uh, one location to the other location, wearing high heels, very uncomfortable, uh, alongside the inconvenience of having to carry around a stock of shoes throughout the day or taking shoes into work mm. um, and keeping them under her desk um, and of course, you know, occasionally wearing trainers with her sort of really well thought outfit didn't quite fit the bill for her. So, you know, in sharing with me this issue that she had, um, me with my sort of technical architecture design background, um, thought it was an interesting sort of problem to solve from a design aspect. I was quite surprised that, you know, of course, heels have been around for, for centuries, yet women still have this problem of discomfort that they're facing and so Olivia Philip was born oh nice and I mean that's interesting to think because you know I, I do see women obviously in their hills mm. and I could just imagine it must be painful yeah. you know to be walking around in in hills like that for hours mm -hmm. so I guess you know that's that's really amazing that that's kind of what sparked that thought of her to try and fix that yeah. that problem and with the company could you tell us how that how you got started just the process of that yeah i mean right from the from the outset if i, if I could uh use the, the yeah, name of you your go. podcast <laughs> um it really was that initial conversation and it sort of stemmed from the problem that she was facing um personally um so of course i wasn't aware as you mentioned you know from a guy's perspective you see women wearing heels you know oh, you know that looks great but from their perspective it's like of course it looks great on them but it also hurts yeah um so for her it was actually finding a more suitable solution to carrying around shoes changing throughout the day and from my perspective it was a case of um, actually trying to find a unique way 
to um, sort of create this uh, seamless synergy between fashion and function. Um, so basically allowing a woman to wear the same pair of shoes and switch between a high and low um, to facilitate their movements throughout the day. Mm. And the, the process of idea to product what was mm-hmm. that like you know as a company kind of you know starting up um you know were there struggles in, in getting to the product or yeah. what was your experience like i mean right from the beginning we don't necessarily think about building a company or even creating a brand it was just about finding a solution you know to to solving the problem um so initially it was just about okay this is the problem what potential ways can we or things can we create in order to solve it efficient efficiently and adequately um as we started to sort of unearth various forms and solutions and sort of streamline that process for me it was a process of sketching research um initially actually finding whether this was a real problem mm. for women and did, out there and did architecture help in terms of the sketching and yeah design, definitely design i mean there's a lot of transferable skills um you know both architecture fashion graphic design um are all within the realm of the creative industries so there's a lot of transferable skills able to take from architecture bring them along to um yeah creating the brand so it started off with sketches of course and then um it, it I started to develop those sketches into sort of small prototypes, testing various elements of the shoe um, and yeah, sort of building it step by step from there. Yeah. And I guess, you know, with something or products like what you have, it obviously takes a lot of detail and you have to be paying attention to every step um, of the process. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would you say is kind of an early win that you guys had experienced starting the company? Well, personally, I think an early win for me was actually sort of developing this new technology. Uh, So we have an interchangeable heel uh, with the shoe, which allows women to transfer from like a 10 centimeter high or 4.5 inch uh, heel right down to sort of three three centimeters. Um, And for me, my win was actually... um, actually being able to develop that technology mm. um doing sort of the necessary research and coming with coming up with something which you know we we find is quite unique mm. in terms of the simplicity um of uh being able to switch and interchange between heights and just the way we've been able to combine that within the shoe without there being any visible uh mechanism uh from the outside so you know right from the from the beginning we wanted to make sure that this uh our technology didn't impede on the overall style and aesthetic of the of the collection and i think we've really been able to achieve that for me you know that was definitely an early win when we look at the concept of designing for life Mm -hmm. um you know obviously we're seeing or we've seen negative impacts of fast fashion over the years Mm -hmm. um what positive change needs to be made to kind of see a difference moving forward yeah, I think uh, it's definitely something that all companies, brands alike within the fashion industry have to be considerate of now. I think more and more people are becoming aware of the impact of fashion on the environment. You know, I believe it's sort of the second highest polluter after the oil industry. Wow. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, a result of fast fashion, among other things, the overall distribution um, and uh, the, the chain of 
you know, where the clothes are being produced, what materials they're be are being used, where it's being sourced, right down to uh, the afterlife of a t-shirt, for instance, being thrown away, ending up in landfill. And, you know, the problem with think companies like, or fa fast fashion companies is the fact that you buy a t-shirt, you know, terribly made, only wear it once or twice, goes straight into the bin and sort of just contributes to that overall um, CO2 emission um, and so I think right now what needs to be done is people need to, more and more people need to become aware. Um, there's that education factor, I think, is number one. After that, I think, obviously, systems need to be put in place right from the companies. They need to bear that responsibility of ensuring they're transparent about what materials they're using, how they're sourcing them. Uh, I think, you know, ethic, ethically produced um products as well goes hand in hand with sustainability so the people who are actually producing um these uh these garments for instance they need to, people need to be uh, put into account to make sure that their working conditions are, are correct and of course there needs to be a system of measure you know is is all well and good a company saying we're sustainable for one two three reasons but we actually need to measure that impact and actually see whether um, you know, it's benefiting the industry as a whole. Mm. And I think in order to effectively measure that, it needs to start local. You need to start right from, you know, your your local, um, like, cobbler. Uh, you know, you need to start from city to city and then we'll be able to measure the global impact from there. Yeah. And I guess, like you said, bringing that awareness, um, you know, to people about the damages of, of fast fashion could possibly make people appreciate the process more, you yeah, know, in definitely. terms of pay more attention to the quality mm. and how it's manufactured mm -hmm. um so is that something that you think will, will kind of change opinion yeah overall? definitely i mean i've done research enough research to sort of uh to understand the process of um how the fashion industry is polluting our environments and you know it, it comes right from the beginning in terms of how the uh, products are produced all the way to the end in terms of what happens to that product once the consumer's finished with it so no, so right from the beginning i think there needs to be um more consideration taken towards how much is actually being produced over supply making sure that you know at the end of that season for instance there isn't a whole flurry of stock um that of course has to be burnt up in some instances unfortunately for for some companies but uh and and you know, and that at the end of that life cycle, once a consumer is done, we need to make sure that they feel that sort of responsibility to do something other than throw it away, where yeah. it end, either ends up in landfill or it goes through that process of incineration. Um, so I think making it easy for the consumer to be a part of that process is definitely key. Um, and one thing we're looking at with with regards to Olivia Philip is that we're actually trying to create um, an ecosystem where our products never end up in landfill. Um, and so what we're doing is we're actually considering offering our customers a rebate on the products um, that they bring back to us if they no longer want them or if they no longer use them. So at the end of that life cycle, we take that product back we are able to strip it apart and take it through this process of recycling. And so I think, you know, just sort of creating new novel ways, systems for recycling, um, making it a bit more fun, if I can say that. Um, and uh, just, yeah, bringing the consumer, making them uh, along the journey, making them more aware of the impact of uh, fashion on the environment and what they can do, how they can contribute towards uh, its betterment. 
Yeah, because mm. if you're able to get people to start doing the same thing that is having a positive impact, um, you know, and then obviously there's influencers and and people of those such. If you if you're able to target or get those people mm-hmm. to uh, take action, you know, yeah. then a trend is formed, and you know, then everyone wants to be a part of it or Absolutely. you know be active in some way. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason why you know we are the the creative industry. There's no why we can't recreate that process. Uh, of recycling of environmental sustainability um, environmental consciousness there's no reason why we can't actually just redesign the way that it works or at least the way that people are informed on are in and educated about it um, and really sort of just bringing ways to incentivize people um, and actually make them part of uh, the sustainability culture yeah and i mean in terms of trend that we've seen minimalism has been quite mm. a quite a thing right now uh, I mean, I'm all for it in the sense of it, you know, it makes people more conscious of what they're wearing. Mm-hmm. They're paying attention to the details. Yeah. Um, but who knows where that's going to go, if it's just something that's going to burn out after a while yeah. or if it's something that's going to last, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, once again, I think that's as a, res- a result of people's mindset shifting. And that's what comes with education, you know, when people become more aware of, um, like, for instance, fashion and its impacts on the environment, overconsumption, overproduction, waste, then people become more informed. People then start to take adequate um, uh, sort of actions in response to that. And minimalism, I suppose, has come, you know, something that's been birthed from people's awareness of actually just buying more things doesn't necessarily make me more happy. Mm. Um, And once again, it's not actually about buying more things. It's more about being more thoughtful about what you're purchasing um you know taking a few minutes or a few extra seconds of your day to to be more conscious of where uh, this product is made how it's made do you really need it how does it actually fit into your lifestyle um and i, th- I think it's a great thing to be honest you know i to some extent i classify myself as, as a minimalist just in terms of i'm a person that doesn't particularly like going out to shop um and yeah sort of buy what i need and Mm. you know i'm considered about the things that i i I would like um and yeah i think even when it comes down to things like my architectural uh philosophy um yeah sort of uh in line with mis van der rohe less is more yeah um i mean minimalism is great i mean it's 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 really you know getting down to pieces you know Mm -hmm. looking at like you said do i need it Mm -hmm. um is it is it gonna add any value to my to my life yeah so i mean in that sense it's great but then when we look at kind of instant gratification and having everything on demand which is what Mm. we're seeing so much Mm -hmm. these days um in millennial culture i think that you know it's it's getting to a point now with the tech companies coming in with a lot of the retailers now becoming practically tech companies Mm -hmm. like such as amazon Mm. um you know people just want something tomorrow today so with that demand there needs to be supply yeah i mean it's it goes hand in hand with the the capitalist system uh, uh, consumerism um so in all honesty i i don't know how it can go away or how it can shift um but you know it all starts on a micro level i think it's about the companies that exist and the new ones that are to come um, actually having a voice on it and actually making the necessary or taking the necessary steps 
um, towards educating the consumer about um, their purchasing habits. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's always going to be there. It's just about c- controlling or influencing um, the future of, of consumerism. And, you know, I think it's a practice where everything's become more transparent. Um, people are becoming more aware of what's out there and being more influenced by certain individuals who um, you know look cool or have the sort of lifestyle that others are going for and you know I suppose it's the, the impetus might be on them to sort of voice their opinions on sustainability you know designing for you know designing for life and uh, actually them seeing how they make responsible um, choices with their purchases and seeing if that will actually uh, in effect influence the the onlooker mm. and how was participating in the athens authentic marathon oh that was great definitely uh one of the most difficult things i've ever done in my life uh, but also one of you know great great uh, experiences um so i, I mean I'm, I'm a keen runner i've been runner love sort of just getting out into the open doors putting one foot in front of the other for a long period of time. <laughs> um, but yeah, going to Athens was a great opportunity in terms of me setting a challenge for myself and having that as a sort of a, a landmark um, that marked the end of that of that challenge, which was training myself for uh, the, the authentic marathon. So it was from the city of Marathon to uh, Athens. And... Um, it was very difficult just in terms of the process of training um, and actually even running it itself it never got easier uh, and sort of likening it to uh, starting a company you know there's a reason why they say it's a marathon not a sprint um, because of you know the resilience that is required when you know you're going through something like a marathon you need to have the right mindset you need to be positive you know if you're if you're going to challenge yourself to running long distance, you need to say to yourself, I can do this. You need to have the confidence within yourself to, you know, to be able to at least start it. And, you know, that confidence will take you through even when it does get difficult. And I assure you it will get difficult. Um, I'm not sure if I'm talking about a marathon or starting a business. <laughs> They're sort of two of the same thing. But yeah, no, it was definitely a great experience uh, running it. And uh, it's funny because a mile before I completed it, I said, I'm never doing this again. And how did you get into running? Was that something you just woke up one day, said, I'm going to, you know, start start running as long no. as I can? No, actually. So I, uh, I used to play rugby at school. Um, so I was, uh, actually uh, sustained an injury when I was playing rugby. It's all the inside ligament of my right knee, I think my ACL. And I uh, went through a process of um, physiotherapy, uh tried to get back into sport I also played rugby tennis etc um, but what I found was that if I put too much weight um, to the left or right of, of my leg then that uh, muscle would slip um, and it would, te- it would like tear the ligament again um, so I'd have to sort of set out let it heal for a month and then get back onto it so actually after a while after university I found that okay you know maybe putting too much force on my leg in sport isn't the best thing decided to take on long distance running Mm. um so i actually started off with 5k 10k and then sort of built it up from there um 
So I was never really built for long distance running. I was always a hundred meter sprint at school. Mm. Um, but yeah, sort of, I, I quite, you know, I liked it, enjoyed it. I didn't necessarily do it for the fitness. I did it for the leisurely factor, just to get, get into, uh, get out into the open doors, breathe in the fresh air, you know, enjoy the scenery. Um, so I'm actually quite particular about where I run. Um, mm. I don't just go running in the, in the gym and say I've gone for a run. Um, so yeah, I try and find lovely routes. I think actually whenever I have the opportunity to travel, um, one of the first things I do the following morning after I've landed into like a new city is to go for a run. Because mm. for me, that's just the most beautiful way to experience uh, to experience a new location. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, with what comes with, with running is that struggle, you mm. know, obviously, especially in long distance. And, you know, when I've been running recently, I've noticed that the mind is, is such a big factor when you're yeah, out there, sure. you know, because you're telling yourself, I'm not going to stop. You know, you're trying to think about your breathing. Uh, you know, there's just multiple things you're trying to focus on mm-hmm. to, to perform, to get it done, whilst also tackling, well, at least I feel tackling um, the thought of, of not wanting to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're fighting and you're pushing mm. at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what do you think about or how do you feel like the, the mental strength through running has has assisted you in, in, in business sure you know there's a key word you use there and that was focus i think you really do have to focus on not only where you're going but where you are and how to get from where you are to where you're going um with the recognition that it's not going to be you know circuitous it's not going to be a straight line there are going to be um you know pushes and pulls some days are going to be great some days are going to be awful or at least you think they're awful um but yeah it's about focusing on doing what needs to be done mm. um, and and at the same time not being too harsh on yourself uh, you know in, in line with uh, running you have to give yourself I, I sort of give myself uh, so I run sort of 10 miles on average uh, when I go for a run and I'd give myself you know breather laps in terms of where I slow down my pace just catch up with my breathing and then I'll pick the pace up again the next mile. And I think in the same way you need to do that in, in um, running a business day to day. You know, what you don't want to do is burn out. You have to mm. give yourself that rest. You know, in the entrepreneurship mindset, it's go, go, go. So I've worked for 14 hours today. I've racked up 100 hours this week. You know, I feel great. I feel like I'm an entrepreneur. It's like, no, that's uh, it's terrible for your health and you're going to burn out, you know, in the next couple of months, if not years. So I think it's about, being smart, working smart, not necessarily just working hard. They both go hand in hand. Um, and yeah, just having having somewhat of a plan put in place in terms of your the way that you work. Um, some people like waking up early in the morning and starting their day, which is great. Uh, other people like to give themselves a bit more rest in the morning and work slightly later at night. Do whatever works for you, but not to the detriment of your health mm. or your mind. Um, you know, it's one of the easiest uh, recommendations, but drink a lot of water, an unhealthy amount mm-hmm. of water. So make sure you're, uh, yeah, make sure you're keeping a healthy, healthy body, healthy mind and uh, yeah, stay focused. Wow. Well, this has been great, Philip. I really appreciate having you on the show uh, with mm-hmm. us today. Uh, just going to finish off with five quick questions. Yeah. Uh, start with the first one. Mm-hmm. What book has had the most impact on your life? The Bible. Right. If you could visit one museum, every day for the rest of your life or gallery what would it be royal academy in london what are you most excited about uncertainties of a new day what's your favorite time of the day 5 53 a.m in the morning 
if we want to find you online, where should we send them? OliviaPhilip.com. OliviaPhilip.com. Fantastic. All right. Thanks a lot, Philip. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Outset. If you like this podcast and found it helpful, leave a comment or subscribe to be notified for the next show. For any other questions, you can reach me at tobyalbertcorbin.com or at tobyalbert on Instagram. See you soon.